Hi, you're listening to the New Space India podcast, a bi-weekly talk show that exclusively brings insights from the Indian space activities ecosystem. I'm your host Narayan, the co-founder of India's first space-focused think tank, Spaceport Sarabhai. Guests on the New Space India podcast help you understand space activities related macro and micro trends within India in all aspects including space history, local industry, space science, technology evolution, law and policy, art and more. The New Space India podcast is supported by Dassault Systems, a global leader in providing businesses and people with collaborative virtual environments to enable sustainable innovations. Dassault Systems Solutions supports startups, small and medium scale enterprises and original equipment manufacturers in developing disruptive solutions for space launchers and satellites. Hi and welcome to yet another episode of the New Space India podcast. Today we have Dr. Dibendu Nandi here who is one of the very well known people in the space science community in India. I know Dibendu for several years now and he is doing some very interesting work. We'll go over the, into the details in the podcast. But firstly, thank you so much for taking the time to speaking with me and I look forward to exploring this topic on how to get more space science done with more of a innovative hardware oriented approach with you in this particular podcast thank you narayan it's a it's a pleasure to be here with you as you said i've known you for a long time i have known about this podcast i've listened to this thrilled to have this opportunity to speak today and hopefully we'll have a nice conversation looking forward to it you have a very interesting case started out in india when went to the us did a lot there before you came back to india again often i see a lot of people in the space science community in india especially due to maybe the lack of volume of opportunity or even maybe the funding they tend to remain in the us obviously when they get out you are one person who has actually come back you've been working with your all the solar magnetic cycles and all this research that you're doing on space weather in india after having returned and also having spent time in places like harvard and smithsonian so what is the motivation for somebody like you to have come back and what was your thought so maybe this is going to sound a bit mundane but he was educated by this country in the sense that i did my my schooling my graduation my phd and i was my education was funded by taxpayers of this country including probably your parents my parents everybody was paying taxes i did my phd in engineering science i got a reasonably okay fellowship that allowed me to get by and then i moved to the us which is typical career trajectory for most scientists where you do a phd in india and if you do well you go abroad for a postdoctoral tenure wherever typically europe or us and i was fortunate to be in a fantastic group at montana state university the solar physics group which was started by loren acton who himself was an astronaut and a solar physicist and remained there for a long time in the us i worked primarily with various nasa projects i was also as you mentioned a visiting scientist for 3 years at the harvard space center for astrophysics we had a daughter in the us and she was i think when she was about 4 years old we decided to take a leap and move back to india i think our primary motivation for doing that was that we wanted to give back something to this country because my education was funded by this country we also wanted our daughter who's an american citizen to to grow up in india and then make an informed choice of wherever she wants to settle down and also frankly i think that i sometimes get a little bored 
when things are a bit easy and it seemed that I was getting the grants and I was pretty happy and the typical when lifestyle that was settled in the US all seemed very comfortable and I wanted to challenge it and see what I can do in a different environment and so I came back to to India and then within a few years of coming back I was lucky to have to have landed this this big project from the Ministry of Education which is known as the Ministry of Human Resource Development born in time which allowed to establish the Center of Excellence in Space Sciences in India which I I head now I'm associated with the physics department of the Indian Institute of Science Educational Research Kolkata and I have been able to contribute to the life of the career trajectory and life of many students I have had 10 PhD students many more undergraduate students and that has been to me a closure in the sense that I have been able to give back in training others and imparting to them the knowledge that I have gathered through my travels around the world and that's of course immensely satisfying there are of course issues that we'll probably discuss of working in India as we move on but this one thing that absolutely a pleasure is to be able to give back to other students so it's a very interesting story that you mentioned and i guess you having the faith of coming back to do something is also very interesting and obviously obviously select amount of people probably have that courage to do something like that obviously you have been in india for quite a while now what has it turned out to be as it turned out to be that you expected is there things you saw as particular roadblocks that can be solved which are which you can say that these are the top things that needs to be resolved based on the experience that you had in the last 10 years or so and it'll be interesting to hear any thoughts around these here you really have to rely on the generosity of somebody being able to push your case or having somebody you know in your good books to make things happen this has been a constant source of irritation and more importantly results in a loss of efficiency of the workforce and this is really system wide and i wish that is one of the things that we could change in our work culture and bring in more professionalism and we don't really need to spend 12 hours at work you can spend 8 hours at work but do your work that you're supposed to do without without really anyone having to push you and this is something that is really missing i think in the indian ecosystem yeah it's a interesting thing that you mention obviously this spills over to the larger culture but then when you come to a sector like space science or so on the organization of how it is being done is different in each country right because in india i think the nuance of trying to build a actual mission or launching it is dedicated to isro but then when it comes to building an instrument to test something that's when scientific institutions who are in the physics and the science of all of this stuff they get involved like in astrosat or other areas but then how does this compare to other places so what do you think is the setup that india has with respect to doing experimental science or using satellites for science that is running in india versus other countries what are the pros and cons all right so first of all i think in the i cannot really speak in a very informed way about europe and the european space agency because i have not really spent much time there but i can speak about the us certainly before i go to space agencies let me talk again about a little bit about the culture in academia the culture of innovation i think one major thing that that americans value is being able to build things with your own hands and and I bring in this thing about culture all over again because I think this really eventually also transcends to more 
more nuanced or more more complex activities like space science you'd find an american fixing their own toilet if it if it something goes wrong fixing some lights or their own flooring and this was an and their own car and this was an eye opener to me when when i settled down in the us where suddenly when you are forced to do many things with your own hands and this actually transcends to academia in the sense that um if you build an instrument if you build something that has a value for a, as a patent or something that is hands on which helps to solve a problem real world problem that is really valued as opposed to here where often i find that if there's somebody who's built an instrument it's not easy to build an instrument putting in 4 5 years of hard work and labor whereas there's somebody who let's say is a computer and has not built anything but has published let's say 10 scientific or technical papers in the same time this other person is more valued because he has publications and this other person has nothing else to show other than an instrument that he has built but in the us on the other hand this person who builds a novel instrument is equally valued and this is a culture that i think we lack in india starting right from the grassroots all the way up through academia and i think this the impact of that is actually felt today in 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 india not having innovative industries also to some extent in the space technology sector in the defense and we are dependent to a large extent on 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 exports in the sectors of course isro benefited from the sanctions for a while and that forced us to reinvent ourselves as instrument builders so isro is still one of the best scientific organizations that can build things which flies so having said that let me also talk a little bit about the ecosystem on how things science instruments that fly space science instruments are built in the US and compared to what happens in India so typically in NASA so as far as science instruments are concerned NASA doesn't really build that many things as far as science instruments are concerned they really are more of a in the mode of external university pi led mode for a long time now this has been built into their ecosystem where they advertise openly a mission of opportunity and multiple different universities bid different kinds of science instruments that they wish to fly and then this goes through a rigorous very rigorous screening procedure which can sometimes last through multiple rounds of across 2 3 years before a final go ahead is given for building an instrument and that instrument is actually built in some lab in some university which is not in nasa and what does this do this first of all this system having existed for decades now has created an ecosystem of instrumentation and instrumentation specialists or scientists and engineers across various universities in the us there are multiple gazillions of universities in the us which can build space science instruments for nasa which can build ground based instruments for the national science foundation and they have the pretty mature groups which 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 jump from one mission when it's over they jump into another mission and they're there and this ecosystem is sustained within the university systems right that ecosystem has not it exists only in a few institutions in india but it is and i can count those institutions non isro institutions perhaps with all the fingers in one hand and for a country of a billion people much larger than india with many universities that's just not good enough so we have not created that ecosystem where we enable expertise and innovators outside of specialized 
government agencies like ISRO or DRDO to build and develop instruments. This in my mind has held back innovation in instrumentation across various disciplines, not just space science in India. And I think this is something that the government has to really look into very closely in the sense that when the job of space agencies is, is, is to fly missions, is to create a sort of a basal ecosystem which keeps the system well-oiled. But the best innovation cannot come from a well-structured government organization that is that is charged with keeping a space ecosystem, the engineering ecosystem, well-oiled and well-healed. It can come from assimilating outside culture of innovation and creativity, which happens in labs, which happens in universities across the country. And this, I think, is something that ISRO must and the government must very closely look into in how to assimilate other universities, other institutions and build up an ecosystem of innovation, catalyze this ecosystem of innovation across the country. Otherwise, you're not scaling up. You're not scaling up. You're not going to be able to develop nations in any way. And in fact, other countries like South Korea, China has already caught us up and gone much beyond. They were nowhere. In the 1970s, we are much ahead of China in space sciences. They've caught up and gone well beyond. And South Korea is doing fantastic. It's doing very well with the with the instrumentation ecosystem. The other countries like Taiwan, Singapore, which are now catching up. Even so, we have to be we have to be open to this these challenges that are coming to us from other countries, right in our backyard. And I think a big reason of this is that we have not valued innovation. We have not valued people who can build instruments. People who can actually go out and sell their instruments to, to the industry. Innovation, a lot of innovation also happens there because that's the ultimate test of a useful thing. I mean, you go to a, walk into a hospital, forget space science for a moment, because I think that it's really is universal. What do you see in terms of the high-end instruments? Go into a lab in India. What do you see in terms of the high-end instruments? They're all made abroad, right? Now, of course, we cannot reinvent in one year or two years. It takes time, but I think one needs to pay attention to this, that we need to catalyze this innovation across the country, in labs, in various institutes and universities to be able to match up to the sheer scale of what other advanced nations have now gone into. One of the things that you mentioned here is with respect to capacity, I think a lot of people realize this. From a practical perspective, we see some space science missions come out. I think the most popular one recently is AstroSat, for example. But like, maybe... 10 times or 100 times more number of practical instrument missions that are being flown from like NASA and so on, right? So where is the bottleneck? Is it because there are not enough funding opportunities to do instrument building or is it because there is funding available and there is not enough engineers and scientists who are able to build instruments or is it because there are funding available for instruments and there are people available who are building instruments but there is not enough flight opportunities what is the landscape for such actual instrumentation science? Since you brought up AstroSat now twice, let me also comment a little bit on AstroSat. I think AstroSat is one of the most successful Indian space science missions that has been. And the interesting thing about AstroSat really reinforces what I've been talking about. AstroSat is primarily is primarily an external PI-led mission where most of the instruments were actually built by, by other institutions, not ISRO. So this is something that, that that should also inform us that it's important to assimilate the creativity that's, uh, that exists outside of ISRO into the, in, in, into the 
Istro, Istro ecosystem. AstroCent has other good things going about it in the sense that there is a data center which is maintained at Ayuka. The data has been made open to the public and pretty much everybody with a little bit of know-how and maybe some training and can utilize the data, which has really made access to the science from the AstroSat mission much more, I would say, inclusive. And this has resulted in a large number of papers from the AstroSat mission, which I think, to my knowledge, a mission from ISRO, Space Science Mission, has been able to match. Now, coming to what are the bottlenecks, I think it's a mix of two elements that you did speak about. One is funding, the other is lack of human resource. It's a bit of a chicken and egg problem in the sense that because we have not created this human resource over a long period of time and we have not valued people who can build instruments. We don't have that many people in the country that can actually conceive and build an instrument. We don't have that many universities and institutes in the country which have the requisite technical, in-house technical facilities, instrumentation labs to be able to build space science instruments. Only a handful of institutions have that. And this is this has been a challenge. It's tied to funding. It's tied to funding because often funding is given out to, to well-held groups which have already proven themselves. And the funding is somewhat risk-averse in the sense that you have to pretty much prove to whoever you're pitching the ideas to that, that your instrument is going to be able to absolutely deliver before it's funded. And that is a bit of an issue because that, to my time, to my belief, that kills innovation because sometimes often when you're creating something new, a challenging instrument, you may fail. But the point is, if you don't, let's say 60 failures, we'll not have 40 success stories, right? So this has been a funding issue in the sense that we have meagre funding for space science in the country and the funding is given out in a very conservative manner. So therefore, we are not really investing in failures, in creative ideas, which in principle can 10 years, 20 years down the line, build this ecosystem in multiple different places. We learn from failures. And this is this chicken and egg problem has been holding us back. As far as launch opportunities are concerned, I don't think that's a limit. I think ISRO has enough launch opportunities. It's launching satellites by from other countries. It's both from, from both space science missions as well as private sector satellites. So ISRO has enough launch opportunities, but I think the funding is one of the issues, particularly funding innovative creative research and setting up instrumentation labs in various different institutes and universities. Uh, that's number one. Number two is a lack of talent in engineering discipline. For example, let's take an example of my own institute or a typical institute like ISC, ISER, which is not, this is a general science institute, but not necessarily meant to do only space science or astronomy. It's very difficult for us to hire and keep an engineer dedicated to space sciences. As long as you have a mission, you're working as part of a mission, you can hire somebody on contract and you pay them. And then the, when the instrument is built, the institutions are averse to, to hold on to this talent. And this is a big challenge for us. And you understand this. It's the same in the industry. When once you train a talent, a human resource, put in a couple of years to train this person and you lose this person after one one job is done, uh, you are really, you have a setback in the sense that you have to start back from scratch when you're trying to build something new. This First of all, this person may be completely lost to space science, may go to completely different domain. A second is it increases the turnaround time of anything that you're building because 
you see, we are working primarily with students and engineers who have to retrain and keep on training right from scratch every time we are building a new instrument. And both of this really hold the ecosystem back again. Yeah, I think what you are saying is fascinating. Obviously, this reflects the reality that you see on the ground as well. But the mention of funding that you say, that then is primarily tied to who becomes the funding institution and what becomes the funding mechanism. Now, when you compare this with what ISRO does, it's a very interesting comparison that you can do, right? Because even ISRO in its case is telling the government why we should be funded, whatever, 10,000, 20,000 crores a year and is making a case for it. And they are getting success year on year because their budgets have been rising at 10% on a compounded annual growth rate cycle, almost, let's say, for the last 20 years or so. And they're able to do it because they are able to convince end users in the government itself to say that we will provide some solution to the Minister of Agriculture or so on. And through that, their program planning division is able to tell what a particular satellite costs and how many launches it needs and what a launch vehicle costs and what research in engines or two-age engines or new age satellites will cost and so on. So they are able to make that case. But in your case of this community, there is no one centralized body, right? That is then like ISRO, who is only dedicated to space, who can then do it. There are institutions are spread out between IAA, IUCA, your center and many other institutions. Is there an institutional overhauling for funding that can reflect on the success of ISRO in getting funding that can be built into the space science landscape? So that's a very interesting thought because so there are some specialized astronomy, space science institutes like Indian of Astrophysics, uh, to some extent, SS Institute. Of course, ISRO has its own institute, a research laboratory, which is doing pretty well. So I will not, not talk about PRL because that's still part of under Department of Space. But let's talk about Indian of Astrophysics. So Indian of Astrophysics is funded by DST. And uh, given that one of the mandates of I is to actually develop astronomical sciences, both ground-based as well as space-based. Minister Astrophysics manages to attract DST funding to build infrastructure for, for laboratories which can sustain space science instrumentation, which can build space science instrumentation. Now, this is not, this is the same, doesn't hold true for institutions like ours, which is much more of a generic, general science institute, or for example, in of Science or other places where the mandate is much more broader from the Ministry of Education, right? So, yeah, so I think that eventually, therefore, if you are in a place like University of Astrophysics and you want to do space science or PRL and you want to do space science, you are certainly at a distinct advantage. But then you have these two, three institutions, right? Which is still just simply not enough. It's, it's not even like a bare minimum to sustain an ecosystem. So, therefore, to really create this ecosystem across multiple other institutions and you see the specialized institutions only have astronomers right primarily they don't have physicists people who have expertise in optics electronics chemical engineers right like for for example what exists in industrial science or many other places like ours or other institutions like iits right how many iits have a space science ecosystem the madras is doing well but but in more in the sense of the private industry you know through startups right so to get to have them get there, I think it would be actually very useful to both for ISRO to look at this much broader institutions which have which are a potpourri, a hot pot of expertise from different branches of sciences and engineering and nurture centers of innovation and excellence in these places, create 
laboratories which can tinker with space instrumentation not just for space science i'm not limiting myself to space science now but to any kind of instrumentation that is for the benefit of humankind any anything that that benefits the private industry that benefits public good you can do that there was talk of a national science foundation in the in in analogy to the national science foundation of us for national research foundation in india some developments happened towards that but now it seems to have hit some doldrums i am not aware where it stuck but that was supposed to create a countrywide ecosystem of sciences starting from the very basic fundamental sciences to applied sciences by pulling in funding from different different agencies and being one overall umbrella of funding science so the competition is equal across the board which would have made the competition much more fairer also so that yeah so that something like that overarching umbrella for funding sciences in the country as well as isro taking us a deep interest in creating in creating centers departments much like what the isro space science technology cell had used the role is it is to play but again at very few institutions across a much larger scale is something that is certainly i think the need of the hour now does it make sense that isro has a specific budget that it requests the government for space science outside of its institutions like prl or the space physics laboratory in vssc that it can use in a nasa type model where they would call for proposals for instruments to be built with a certain let's say budgetary limitation perhaps to accommodate different types of payload at a certain price point and certain delivery and would that be a kind of a model that can perhaps give a little bit more catalyzing spirit to all of this yes certainly i think that is absolutely necessary because you see nasa recognizes this is fundamental this recognition nasa recognizes that creativity and innovation doesn't exist only within its own walls it exists anywhere within the shores of its in the borders of its country united states of america right and it's willing to put in the money to assimilate that expertise uh, creative ideas from any other university or academic organization or in fact even private industry players from across the country this i think is extremely important now having said that isro has opened up recently in the sense that isro has a this is call for call for proposals for funding very specific items that um it needs it it wants the private industry as well as outside players to pitch in with their expertise to build develop different components of instrumentation that that it feels that it needs to plug in holes in its own that that are gaps in its, uh, its way of progress but i'm in two minds about this approach and this is all right to do that because i think it's important that when you don't you are trying to build a chain you have a chain of innovations you need and you have a certain link missing you want to assimilate that from outside that's good that you are you have taken you have opened up you're honest to admit that you don't have that in opening up to get that expertise from outside but you should not limit yourself there you also have to be much more open to completely new disruptive ideas which you have not thought about which is not a missing link in a chain that you have envisaged you you should also be open to assimilating a completely new idea completely new chain of innovation a whole new instrument concept that somebody else somewhere sitting outside of isro has thought about and is willing to put put their time in developing you have to bet on those ideas as well it's just like angel investing right and you would understand that right so isro needs to get in there and it needs to convince the government and i hope the government should would listen to isro when isro says that yeah i want to scale up and involve other universities and institutions to nurture 
innovation across the country. I would hope the government should have open ears and open mind to, to massively scale up ISRO funding for achieving this innovation. By using the existing ISRO setup of proposal judgment or whatever it is, but yes, to try and involve the whole country. I think that is absolutely essential. This is not just essential for ISRO, for academic institutions. If we sustain this innovation in various places, we're also creating expertise who we can feed in to the private industry. And New Space India is now rapidly growing. New Space India needs expertise, people who can build. And I'm sure that you also probably understand that we have a clear uh, lacuna there, shortfall of human resource who can actually build and develop stuff, right? Starting from small components to 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 engineering a satellite bus, we, we don't have enough expertise to do that across the country. Our industry will need that at some point in time. Yeah, the one thing that a lot of people talk about is this uh, triad of uh, industry, ISRO and academia, for example, or research laboratories, including academia. It's taught about always from an idealistic standpoint. People think about it that, oh, there should be synergies between all three, but there's no practical implementation of anything there. People think of it from an idealistic standpoint, but there is no real project that involves all three together that is ever done to a large extent. And what you said brings to my mind to saying that if that would be a mechanism where ISRO says that there is a budget that it can get from the government to support science instrumentation, but it could also be that this is a this is one of the idea ways in which you can really create that triad, right? Because if you say that the instrument has to fit in a certain size, certain power profile, certain temperature requirements or attitude requirements or communication requirements and you limit even to involve the industry or incentivize local industry to develop IP and to develop small platforms that ISRO does the selection of the vendors and the research institutes who are doing science, the vendors from the industry to build a small mission. And that is a great triad that can be built, right? Because if somebody says uh, your instrument should fit in a 50 kilogram satellite of a certain profile and the budget for this is, I don't know, whatever, two crores, three crores together. And that is a fascinating triad that you can then build to extend. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that's something that I have been very deeply thinking about. I've been talking to some, some people about this, of establishing such centers which are funded by... The institute, where it's by some public agency, which is funding that institute or ISRO, and private players who come in to build things which currently don't exist in India or which we don't build but export from other countries connected to space sciences and space instrumentation. I will use that interchangeably. When I say space sciences, to me, science and technology is the same thing. One cannot exist without other. Science is enabled by technology and vice versa. So... There is a huge advantage here. Why is that an advantage for everybody involved? Let's talk about the institution itself. The institution by this mode manages to attract some external funding, manages to work with the space agency or whatever is funding this and a private player or a bunch of private players who have come together in, in creating what we have been talking about, an instrumentation ecosystem for space science and technology in their campus. This benefits their students. So the students normally would have theoretical courses, some lab courses perhaps, 
but there is nothing like building something which is new okay hands on which is going to fly which becomes part of a even a component which becomes part of a new overall setup that is going to fly and which is going to help the country or isro achieve something which it could not have if that instrument did not exist so you're creating a trend human resource in that particular domain now the students usually come cheap in the sense that they are either funded by the government the fellowships or they pay pay you know a tuition fee which is not very much because much of the infrastructure is funded by the government so this benefits the private players as well why because by virtue of this training of the students you are now creating a future set of human resource for many of these private entities or even government entities they can join isro they can join not everybody can join isro eventually it's a limited setup right but if we eventually do have the new space india ecosystem grow up to be big and successful you need a lot of people and so you manage to get to train them for cheap through via an academic institution but you have eventually in your hand a very nice intelligent human being who's trained to do the work that you're interested in right without having put your money in into training that person so that's good from the industry side as well why is it good for the side of let's say isro as i said isro has eventually it has finite boundaries it's a limited organization it cannot do everything right it cannot sustain a big boom in 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 space science and technology or space industry in india alone it needs to have let's just go beyond isro i think india needs to have this right something much bigger and it is in isro's benefit because isro gets to launch stuff and isro has by virtue of being the indian government's primary space organization often the first right to this technology as well and it has played a role in nurturing and catalyzing this this talent the growth of this ecosystem within india i think these are all for isro there is no shame i think in nurturing ecosystem beyond your own as a researcher i want to give up all my knowledge that i have to my students and if they do as well or better than me then i have been successful that's how i gauge myself right and this is how government funded organizations should be gauging themselves right we are non profit agencies because you are funded by the government so it's your duty to be able to nurture the indian ecosystem and i think everybody gains here as i said in your mind let's say if we have to do something immediate and which is practical and it is the lowest hanging fruits that you think that can be implemented today what are those lowest hanging fruits so let's say whatever some policy maker who is keen on understanding this is listening into this conversation and they want the most practical lower hanging fruits that can be done on an immediate basis what would that be okay so there is nothing really immediate in the sense that you can't solve this problem in 6 months or 1 year but let's start planning about this right okay first of all what you want to do is you want to see you want to really plan on what you want to achieve do you want to be just enough to sustain india's need in space let's just say that's the basic minimum that you should aim for right 10 years to 20 years you should be able to sustain what india hopes to achieve in space right what can be a more ambitious goal than that you want to figure out what does the world aim to achieve 
in space in the next 10 to 20 years. And then you ask yourself the question, can India get a pie of that? How, how does India see itself as a global player, as beyond a regional player, which is just launching, just providing some launch services, making some money out of this? Can you actually nurture the ecosystem? Can you, can you build new innovation such that the world flocks to you? Like what's happening, let's say, in Europe, or what's in the Netherlands, in Germany, what's happening in the U.S.? Can that happen here in India? So here there's some deep thinking involved. Which positions your ambitions? That's something that one must do, right? One must create a task force to think of where do you want to be? Because eventually, if, unless you have a dream of where you want to be, the rest is inconsequential because you'll never get there. All right, let's now come down to a more ground level. What can you do to plug the holes? And I think ISRO is get, getting there with this recent proposal where you really, really need to understand what is it that, you know, from now to the next five years, what are the technologies that you are lacking that we need to either get from outside or we or we simply can't hope to achieve just have within the ISRO ecosystem or the DRD ecosystem. So identify those and then you throw it up. You throw it up as open challenges to academicians, and the industry fund them if required if you, there is a risk of course always right because you have not achieved this in your what 50 years of existence you can't hope that some other entity will come and achieve this in one year or two years right so you have to be patient give them five years give that pot of money to multiple different fund three best proposals from the industry academia who would bid for the same stuff. Do this for every little thing that you think are critical for in the way of your success from zero to five years as a space agency in meeting India's needs. And then pick up what works best, what which company or academia has done best in two years down the line and handle them, give them enough funding to see this through, technology through, and then assimilate it. Now, the two ways of doing this, one way of doing this is with massive oversight from ISRO, which is a terrible thing to do. The other way to do this is, and this sounds weird, but this is the right way to do it. You fund them for the first two, three years and leave them alone. That's where creativity best works. Okay, once you know that they have got somewhere where you, they see the light at the end of the tunnel, then you scale it up, give them massive funding, and ask them to deliver. But too much oversight, trying to get them very quickly into your existing ecosystem that you already created, which is 50 years old, is not a good idea. You want to create centers of innovation, let them be. I think this is of fundamental importance and I hope both ISRO and the government realizes that. Sometimes you just give the money and forget about it. I think this is what has happened mostly to, to for example, SpaceX. Right? It's operating mostly out of government money, not some money, right? But it's creating fantastic in for the US. This needs to happen here also in India. I'm not saying create that one big thing. No, create an ecosystem of multiple different companies who can plug in this hose that exists right now. Now, what is the best way to do this? When you have a completely new thing to invent. The academic organizations have years, have nurtured years and years of nurturing of talent. Something that you want 
exists inside somebody's mind somewhere in india either you don't know it or that person doesn't know that his mind is going to be useful so you really need to throw out this open call and not just very limited calls where only some people come to know about it you need to really throw out this open calls to every academic organizations in the country and if required partner them and i think that's a nice way to work as i said create the centers around maybe different instrumentation concepts one kind of instrument or a broad in a much more broader sense an instrumentation lab where you can build different things with an academic or within an academic organization in partnership with a private organization that that i think is really eventually building in two elements that is important for success one is builds it builds it brings in the knowledge that exists within the academic system but we academicians are not very good at translating our minds into useful products the private industry is very good at that right they would extract it out of you so bring them together and then you have a fantastic mix of different approaches where you your chances of succeeding in delivering a product is much higher than if you just involve the academicians alone or the private industry alone and as you rightly said we often talk about it in multiple different conclaves space conclaves and conferences where everybody goes up and does their thing and say oh yeah it's extremely important academia industry collaboration but in the ground very little happens so i say create the centers everywhere with government funding and private funding private players the academic institution involved create multitude of them with different private industries industrial partners involved i hope some of these are really coming into reality to a large extent and what is your own center's road for some of this are there any specific things that you plan to do within your center to enhance or move this further when it comes to realization of uh, instrumentation and so on Well, so actually, so the Center of Excellence in Space Sciences in India, which I had at ISA Kolkata, we are already involved in the Aditya L1 space mission, which is India's first solar observatory. It's going to observe the sun and space weather. We are a co-investigator on the on the solar ultraviolet imaging telescope, which is being developed primarily at at IUCA, which, which is which has been developed and it's now ready for some testing, final testing before before. it's ready to ready for flight so that's the instrumentation part we are involved in and as i said we had engineers working for us we had to let go of one engineer we don't know what's going to happen to the other engineer after this project is over because as i said when you don't really have a ecosystem you are not involved in multiple space missions you lose talent you work hard to create them but you can't retain them and that's a bummer so that's as far as the instrumentation story goes we're not very sure whether we'll be able to sustain the instrumentation initiative that we started at isa kolkata in central excellence space sciences india unless some miracle happens frankly now we also have this other initiative which is which is developing uh, space weather forecasting capability for india and this we have been very successful ours ours is the only center which is now delivering space weather bulletins routinely we analyze and assess space weather data and we put it up all based on public data but again this is something that's that's done by also by the united states noaa space weather prediction center it's also done by the uk met and the european space agency's space weather unit what is not done is to tailor your space weather intelligence to 
specific user bases like for example launch providers to decide when they should be launching and when they, particularly when they should not be launching to satellite operators who work with gps navigational network satellites telecommunication satellites to make them aware when you expect outages due to space weather events to work with insurance companies who deal with the lifetime of satellites as well as who underwrite satellites against extreme events like either a debris hit or extreme space weather event this is not done by any of the public sector organizations so public sector organizations are more in the business of, of assimilating the data the model and sending out these bulletins and making it available for the public so this is something that i am looking at of creating a business out of currently in india everybody is encouraged to start a business and i think the science funding situation is such that we scientists are also being challenged to think of innovative ideas to make money which is a good thing i think from my perspective i am not sure that how others feel about it i think that fundamental science should always be funded but i am in a in an domain of science where i started off being doing looking at science from a very fundamental perspective but then i have over years developed an expertise and a set of tools which can be applied to protect technologies in space and i would like to take it to the outside world not just in india to everywhere and see whether i can successfully integrate this knowledge with the needs of different users starting from space agencies defense the industry players and see if this actually is a proposition that can that is sustainable from the business perspective so it's important i think that that every scientist everybody who creates knowledge eventually think about this and as a perspective that has grown on me over years of being just a scientist who was only worrying about publications because you see i think at the end of the day i am at a level again where i need an additional challenge in my life because i feel that i am at that comfort zone where i can publish reasonably good papers which are reasonably well cited and often we write in all these papers so that my work is useful for the society and most scientists pull that but how many scientists actually go out and prove that your science is actually useful to the society and what is the real test of that the real test of that is not having a publication by the way the real test of that is in selling that to somebody whose life or whose technology depends on the advice or the intelligence that you're bringing in or the product that you're bringing in so that's the new challenge i want to take up that's the new adventure i'm looking forward to uh, it's fascinating and good luck to you and i hope more people think on these kinds of lines and not play the game of looking for just citations and things like this but really looking at real world impact of the work that they do Thank you Naran I think it was a pleasure yeah I opened my heart out to you but then we have known each other for a long time I really enjoyed this conversation Yeah thank you so much Devendu for taking the time I hope to be obviously a part of knowing further what is the conclusion of all this kind of work and so on Absolutely I think I've seen you how you have how you have grown such such right from the grassroots being very honest about 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 how you went about doing it no frills no fancy hard work i admire what you have very have reached in 8 years and of course not just your own staff you have played such a nice umbrella you've been such a nice umbrella to to everybody in new space india to everybody who who starts up in india you're almost like an academician i may have students you have many students as well in the industry so good luck to you as well naran oh thank you so much for the kind words nibendu thanks again for taking the time thank you very much take care
Thank you for listening in to this episode of the New Space India podcast. If you enjoyed this conversation, please share this episode with anyone you believe will enjoy listening to it. You'll be able to find the New Space India podcast in any of the podcasting platforms that you may be using, including Apple, Google, Spotify, YouTube and others. Do subscribe to the podcast in case you want to receive new episodes automatically. I'm grateful if you're able to leave a rating for the podcast which will help others discover it. Thank you for listening in again and the next episode will be out in the next 2 weeks as usual.